0: Cornerstone. Yeah. Glad you're here. This is the first day of a brand new series uh, that we're calling Dangerous Church. And uh, in case you're wondering, here's kind of the question they're going to be unpacking for the next uh, couple weeks together. We're simply asking this, when Jesus made the church, what was He dreaming of? What was He hoping the church would be like? And what was He hoping that you and I would be like as a Part of the church? And then what would it mean for you and I to be that type of church? And we're absolutely convinced that church would be a dangerous church. That would be an unstoppable church. The community around a church like that would be deeply affected and forever changed if we could simply be the type of church uh, that Jesus wanted the church to be. Now, some of you are wondering what's going on with the mannequin uh, head. <clears throat> um, I didn't have any props this Sunday, which is uh, unusual. And the programming team was deeply perplexed about that. And so then one of them walked out and said, well, just throw this in somewhere in your sermon, Lynn, and uh, see how that works. So I, you know, somewhere, who knows, we'll see if that works out. But in the meantime, it's kind of strange to have her staring at us all. But uh, so here's what we're going to unpack today. What would happen if there was a church where everybody in the church was living their life for exactly the purpose and the plan for which they were created. Stop and think about the first thing. What if there was a church where everybody in the church had said, God, look, 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 I'm not going to live according to what I thought or what I intend. I'm literally going to live my life according to your plan. For the very reason that you called me into existence, that's what I'm going to live my life for, that church would be an absolutely amazing church. And so we're just gonna unpack this idea of living on purpose, living on plan uh, for Jesus Christ. Now the reality is, this is hard. And this is something that absolutely terrifies our lives. So what we're gonna do today is peek into the life of a guy who was probably struggling the same way that you and I are. That, that he looked and he said, hey, you know, I, can, I think I can kind of figure this out, I can see some talents, I can see some abilities that I think God gave me. And, and I, I think I've added two plus two together, and I, I think I've got an idea. You know, I'm pretty good at math, and so maybe I should be an accountant, or, or, you know, maybe I'm really good at talking to people, so maybe I should go into sales. And he's got a thought in his mind of what he thinks maybe God intended his life to be, and then he launches out in that direction only to discover, you ready? That what he thought God was doing with his life was way, way smaller than what God had planned for his life. And we're simply gonna unpack the question together to say, to say what if, what, what if we're all living our own self-made, self-thought plans? And what if what we've spent our lives on so far is so much smaller, so, so much littler than what God intended for us? And what would it take today to simply say, God, look, with whatever part of my life I've got left, no matter what mistakes I've made up until now, I simply want to live the rest of my life on plan with you. And what would that require in our life? So here we go. Grab your Bibles. We're going to take a look. Uh, if you're really, really familiar, if you've grown up in church, you're going to know this guy. He's a guy by the name of Joseph. Uh, and his story appears in the Old Testament. Matter of fact, in the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, uh, Genesis chapter 37, And it's an interesting moment in his life. Uh, Again, he's come and he, he thinks he's got it figured out. He thinks he knows what God is doing. And he could not be further from the truth. And what he's going to do in this moment is what many of us do. He's going to put his hand in. He's going to begin to try to help God get to the plan. He's going to help God get to his life's purpose. And when he puts his hands in, he's going to make it worse. He's going to mess up Everything. And he's got to come to a point in his life where he says, God, this isn't about me inviting you to help me with my plan. This is about me allowing you to do your plan in my life. His story is in Genesis chapter 37. Here we go. It's starting in verse 2. This is what it says about this guy named Joseph. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Now here's what you need to know, Jacob is one of what you would call the big three. So if you go back into Jewish history, a matter of fact, if you go multiple times in the Bible, it's going to say the, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So he's one of the, his father, the father of Joseph, is actually one of the patriarchs of the faith. And Jacob is going to have 12 sons. Joseph is one of those 12 sons, and those 12 sons end up becoming the 12 tribes of Israel. Okay, so that's, that's how much at the beginning we are. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought to their father a bad report about them. So here's the deal. They've all been out tending sheep together. Apparently, uh, Joseph's other brothers are doing something they shouldn't do. Joseph turns into a little bit of tattletale at this moment, goes back to his dad, says, Dad, you'll you'll never guess what the rest of my brothers are doing. I'm out there tending the sheep. They're playing beer pong. (laughs) I end up having to do all the work by myself, okay? And he brings a bad report uh, to his father about his brothers. Now, Israel which is another name for Jacob. The Bible uses those names interchangeably because Jacob's going to be the father of Israel, okay? Now Israel, or Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age and he made an ornate robe for him And when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word about him. So you get the dysfunction of this family. Jacob loves his one son, Joseph, more than the other boy. Everybody knows it. Everybody's understanding this moment. And so they already resent Joseph. If that weren't enough… Now, Jacob gives to Joseph this ornate, this beautiful, multicolored robe, so that every time he walks in the room, the rest of the brothers can know that dad likes Joseph best. And you can just imagine the angst and the ire that is going on in the sibling rivalry that's happening in the context of this family. It is a powder keg waiting to blow up. And (laughs) then… Joseph had a dream so there's a moment here in which God is about to say to Joseph Joseph I got a plan for you I have a purpose for your life and I'm gonna give you a glimpse I'm gonna let you see just a tiny snippet of what I'm planning to do with your life and I'm gonna do this in the form of a dream so Joseph had a dream and when he told it to his brothers they hated him even more He said to them, listen to this dream I had. You were binding sheaves of grain. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose up and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down, which made his brothers feel really, really good. And his brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he said. Now, guys, before you think that Joseph is a victim here, he's not. The reality is he's 17 years old and he's being arrogant and cocky. See, God has given him a little bit of a sense of what's going to go on in his life. And the cool part about it is he's going to end up being the boss of his brother's. And his brothers don't like him, and he knows they don't like him, and he's rubbing their noses in it in this moment. Here's… here's what you got to get. In the culture of the time, there's absolutely no chance that Joseph ends up being in charge of the family business. There's no chance that he ends up elevated and his brothers end up serving him. The reason for that is this, that within the culture of Israel at the time, the oldest brother always inherits the family farm. Always. Always. It doesn't matter how talented he is or isn't. It doesn't matter how good his intellect is or isn't. He's always going to inherit the family farm. That's what happens within the culture. And if for some reason, if he were to die or something happened that he was indisposed, it would then go to the second brother. And then the third and then the fourth. Joseph, you ready for this? Joseph is the 11th brother out of 12. There is no hope that Joseph ends up running the family business and the rest of the brothers end up serving him. It could not happen in culture. And yet God has said, there's gonna be a moment, Joseph. I'm giving you a little glimpse of what I'm gonna do in your life because I want you to have a hope. I want you to understand I'm doing something special with you. And so there's gonna come a day, even though it's so culturally strange and it's, it's something that would never normally happen, but your brothers are actually gonna come and bow down to you. Now, Joseph knew this was to be kept quiet. He knows if he says this out loud to his brothers, it's only going to antagonize him. And yet, filled in that moment with 17-year-old arrogance, he turns to his brothers and he says, oh, hey, by the way, uh, guess what God told me? (laughs) Uh, Someday, all you guys that hate me and resent me, someday you're going to bow down to me. And he knew before he said it, that he would bring the angst and the ire of his brothers. And he seems to say, hey, you know, since God already told me that's what's going to happen, you know, maybe you should just cooperate with God and make me the boss today. You know, maybe. What do you think? You realize that this is one of the reasons God doesn't tell us what His plans are for us. (laughs) We'd get in and start messing them up. We'd get in and say, oh, well, God, if that's what you're doing, you know, maybe I just ought to go tell everybody it's time to bow down to me. And in this moment, because, because Joseph has decided that he likes the plan, and now you're ready for this? He's helping God by revealing the plan to his brothers. He blows up his home he blows up his family. The the resentment level that had already been eyeball deep now goes through the roof. There's a list of cataclysmic events that are about to happen in this family because, because, because. You ready for this? Because Joseph believes that this plan is his plan, and he believes that God needs to help him flesh out his plan. I'm wondering how many times we've done the same. See, I I wonder how many times in our own lives we've kind of self-evaluated and we said, well, you know, hey, uh, I I think I can figure out what talents and abilities I have. And, you know, so I, I think I can pick my career and I think I can pick my spouse on my own. And I wonder how often we've formulated our own plan and simply invited God to bless it. And what Joseph doesn't understand in this moment and what you and I miss is that God is not waiting to bless your plan. He's inviting us to join His. And that what God is offering Joseph in this moment and where God is planning to take him is so much bigger Than anything Joseph has even considered and even thought about or dreamed about in his life. And I wonder how many times as you and I plan out our own lives, we end up settling for something that is so small, so far removed, and so minute compared to what God had intended our lives to be like. you get that God does have a plan for you, right? Matter of fact, grab your Bibles real quick and and go with me to the book of Ephesians. It's gonna be the right, don't close your Bible though because we're going back to Genesis. You already did, didn't you? You closed it. All right, I'll help you get back there in a minute. So Ephesians uh, chapter two, which is gonna be almost to the very back of your Bible. So go to the back, work to the left. Ephesians chapter two. This is such a cool verse. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Watch this. For we, you and me, are God's handiwork. Which means, are you ready for this? God built you the way that you are. He gave you your personality. He he gave you the traits that you have. The reason you're good at math is because God made you good at you. You realize that you are God's handiwork. So, the next time your spouse complains, just go, God made me this way. (laughs) Sorry, it's His plan. Wouldn't want to spoil that. God, you are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. You're, as we say, saying, Hey, I've got things planned out for you, I've got things that your life is gonna matter because of. There's things that I have intended for you to do. There's a reason you're on earth taking up space because there's actually something. See, so God's saying, look, 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 look. I, I didn't look ahead thousands of years and go, well, you know, there's gonna be this big company called Intel and they're gonna need a couple engineers. So let's throw about 15 of them out there. And saying, guys, you, you get my plan so much bigger than that. That's not why I created you. I I created you to do something that would be eternal, that would actually matter. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. You realize he's saying, hey, before you were even born, God had a plan for you. He had an intention for your life. And to miss that intention would mean to settle for something less in your life. Let me, let me ask you a question real quick. Do you have any sense of why God created you? Of, of why He put you here on planet Earth? And I'm just, gonna, I'm just gonna say, guys, it's bigger than your career. It's bigger than your family of origin. It's bigger than the fact that you live in Chandler. It's bigger than that. And if you don't have any sense of what you were created to do, then chances are you're not doing it. We, we've got a gal in our church, and you, you probably have met her, her named uh, Mary Rydberg. Uh, it's actually Mary Nolenberger now because she just got married recently. But but Mary uh, leads almost all of our usher and greeter teams. Uh, She comes down here and does counseling uh, every Sunday morning. And what you may not know about Mary is that she's actually um, a very, very accomplished commercial real estate agent and works 50, 60 hours every week selling huge deals, you know, that you and I have never touched. And yet, in the midst of that, somewhere, Mary's come to the resolve in her heart to say, you know… I. I just don't think God created me to be a commercial real estate agent. No, no, don't get me wrong. She's not quitting her job. She does that. She's just saying, I think, I think there's another reason I'm here on earth. And she's found that reason being in the church and serving you. And I will tell you that on every single Sunday, she's here for all five services. She's more faithful to church than I'm faithful to church. And she meets people down here at the front and counsels them. I can't tell you how many people Mary has sat and prayed with and wept with and how often she gets numbers and calls people during the week and says, hey, I just want to check in and see how your life is going and what is God doing and can I pray with you again? Can we meet for a cup of coffee? I can't tell you how many times she's gone and helped a family and been the hands and the feet of Jesus. And guys, here's something I'm just going to tell you. Someday... When we hold Mary's funeral, which hopefully is a long, long time from now, nobody's going to be at that funeral talking about the multi-million dollar real estate deal she did. But there's going to be a line in heaven of people coming up to her and saying, thank you. Thank you for figuring out why God created you and and what your intention on earth was, because you changed my life. And, and here's just what I want to say the room, guys, and it has to sink in today. If you haven't figured that out, or, or if you're still living for the puny little things that everybody else is living for, and if it's still your plan, then you have not even come close to what God intended your life to be. It's interesting because… Uh, God is gonna take Joseph on a journey. Uh, he's gonna bring events that are gonna to just totally turn the heart of this self-willed, self-appointed young man and invite him to now come along on the plan that he had all along. So here's what happens, uh, a few months later, the brothers are out watching the sheep, Joseph is not with them, probably because dad knew that there was a little bit of angst and an ire there. But one day, uh, dad comes to Joseph and says to him, hey, Go check on your brothers. Uh, See what's going on. They haven't checked in in a while. Make sure the sheep are okay. And so here goes Joseph uh, traveling out toward his brothers. And the Bible says, while while Joseph was still a long way away, they saw his Technicolor dream coat. And uh, and they said, all right. So here comes that troublemaker. Uh, This is our moment. This is our opportunity. Let's kill him. And so sure enough, as Joseph gets a little bit closer, uh, all the brothers jump on him, fully intending to take and slaughter an animal and pour the blood on the coat and then take the coat back to dad and go, hey, you know, dad, does this coat look familiar at all? You know, we weren't sure just because it glowed in the dark if it was Joseph's or not, you know, but apparently an animal laid him. And so in the midst of the plan, uh, one of the brothers says, whoa, 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 let's think about this before we do it. And so they throw him in a pit. They throw him in an empty well that's been dried up. So they throw him down in a pit. And now think about this. Think about what this would feel like if you were Joseph. His brothers are standing at the top of the well debating what to do with him. One's going, I think we just put him behind a mule and drag him. Another one's going, I had slice his throat. Joseph's down at the bottom going, let him go, let him go. In the midst of the discussion, a bunch of gypsies come down the road. And one of the brothers has a genius idea. He says, look, 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 look. We can win-win out of this deal. Let's sell Joseph into slavery. That way, look, look, we're going to make money. We all get to go out and play more beer pong. And we don't have to worry about the guilt of having killed our own brother. Let's sell him into slavery. And at this moment, some of you who resented your siblings growing up and thought multiple times about killing them are thinking to yourself, you mean there was another option? (laughs) And so they do. They sell them into slavery. Joseph ends up being taken to Egypt, the most powerful country in the world at the time. And he finds himself being sold as a slave on the auction block He's bought, think about this. He was a free man just a few days ago. He now is bought into slavery by a guy by the name of Potiphar, who happens to be a captain uh, in the Pharaoh's service. And he now goes to work in Potiphar's house. And it's interesting because the Bible says everything that Joseph touched while he was in Potiphar's house went to success. I mean, every time he made a business deal, the business deal came out better. Every time they grew a crop, the crops came in better. Everything that he touches turns out good, so much so that Potiphar, it says, literally did not even attend to anything in the house. He turned everything over to Joseph. And right now, some of us are going, hey, well, you know, this looks like the story's looking up. Not if you're Joseph. I mean, think about this for a second. If you're Joseph… You thought you were inheriting the family business. You were going to be COO of Jacob Incorporated. And now, you're a slave. And if you'd been in charge of the family business, then all of this success would have turned into that convertible camel with the leather hump you were waiting for. And now, instead, Potiphar's getting everything. So if you're Joseph right now, you're going, see God, look, 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 look. This is why I didn't want in on your plan in the first place. Because following you and getting involved with you always ends up diminishing. It always ends up lesser. Isn't it the truth? that one of the reasons that we sit in a moment like this, thinking about maybe giving our hearts and our lives to God and saying, God, look, here's the deal. I'm willing to take my plans and I'm willing to set them aside and God, we'll just do your plans. We'll do your plans. And when we even consider that and our hearts start pounding out of our chest, is because, 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 you're, you're ready? We're pretty sure if we gave in and said, God, we'll set our plans aside and we'll do your plans, that God's plans are diminishing that whatever God has planned for us isn't as good as what we had planned for us. That we wouldn't probably make as much money. We probably wouldn't be as popular. We we probably wouldn't live in as big a house if we did what God asked us to do. And so in that moment, we opt out in fear. We say, I can. not And guys, God's plans. What God wanted to do with you and do with me is so much bigger than anything you had planned for yourself and anything you had imagined. And when your fear causes you to opt out, you miss out. If that weren't bad enough, uh, the story gets uh, even darker. Potiphar has a wife, and at some point in Joseph being in the household, Potiphar's wife worked it in. Uh, Potiphar's wife uh, begins to eye Joseph. And she goes to him and says, hey, uh, you know, Potiphar's gone all the time. He would never know. How about? To which Joseph says, look, 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 I, I can't. You realize your husband has put everything in the, in the entire household under my care. I, I can't possibly do I, I couldn't betray him like that. He's trusted me with every part of his life except you, and for good reason, because you're his wife. And of course, this bolstered her heart, and she felt very good about the rejection. You've all heard about a woman scorned. She pursues and pursues and pursues uh, Joseph, and finally she corners him one day, apparently when the house is a little bit empty, and she says, come on, Joseph, this would be fun, and it would be good for you, and it would be good for me. And I've got a feeling, I've got a feeling she was darn good uh, looking. Um, I, I don't think she was doing the Miley Cyrus thing, right? But she was coming on like a wrecking ball, just want to say, just want to say. You, you guys didn't know I knew that, did you? You're know, like, And so in this moment, I think Joseph is sweating beads of blood. I think he's on the edge of making the mistake of a lifetime. And the reason I think that is because Scripture says that in this moment, he turns and he flees. And guys, let's just be honest. If she was ugly as a mud fence, he wouldn't be running. He'd just go, girl, there ain't no chance. Right? That's all he'd be doing. But he flees, because I think Joseph in that moment says, if I stay here another instant, if if I listen to anything else she says, I'm going to make a mistake of a lifetime. And so he begins to run. She reaches out and grabs uh, the outer cloak that he's wearing. He squirrels out of it, keeps running as fast as she can. She takes his coat, lays it on her bed, lays down next to her bed and weeps. And when Potiphar comes in, She says to Potiphar, guess what? Guess what that servant who you have so much trust in and so much favor for, guess what he tried to do with me? And Potiphar is outraged. He's as angry as possible. And a matter of fact, the passage tells us what he does next. It's Genesis chapter 39. Starting in verse uh, 20. And here's what it says. Joseph's master, Potiphar took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden, so that the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison. And he was made responsible for all that was done there, And the warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord… Look, let me read this. The Lord was with Joseph. Well, thanks a lot, God, for being with me in the prison that you just let me go into unfairly. And if this is what it feels like to be on your plan and for you to be with me, God, I'm opting out. I mean, think about this. Oh, boy, I'm in charge of the prison. I'm the best prisoner in prison. How do you put that on a resume? This, this, you realize this is not a good trajectory for a career. You get where this, is. this is where many of us have gotten out of the boat. Because at some point in our lives, we were following Jesus and we were, we were in and we were saying, okay, God, I'll do your plan. And then it got horribly unfair. It started costing something to be a follower of Jesus. And in that moment, we said, God, this is, this is craziness. See, I'm being faithful to you. I'm doing what I ought to do and things are going the wrong way time to opt out of your plan and to opt back into my plan. For some of us, this happened in business and the other person got the promotion. And they got the promotion not because they were better or because they sold more or because they were more valuable to the company. They got got better because they were willing to go to the parties. That you as a Christian didn't feel Appropriate to go to, uh, they were willing to take the client to the strip club, and you said, "No, in good conscience, I, I can't." And now they've been promoted not because they were a better, uh, more productive employee than you. They got promoted because they were part of the good old boys club. And in that moment, you're going, "Hey, wait, God, this is—you know—this isn't how this is supposed to go." See, this is this is the single person who finally gets it right and says, no, 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 I get it. The Scripture says, hey, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. And so, I'm not going to date anybody unless they know my Jesus. And so, I've made that new policy in my life. And it used to be every Friday night you had a date, and now suddenly you have nowhere to go. And you're going, God, whoa, 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 this is not how this is supposed to happen. See, I was faithful to you. There's supposed to be a line of people at my door asking me out. This is horribly unfair. And for many of us, that was the moment we said, I'm done. I'm done with the plan of God for my life. I'm going back to the plan of me for my life. You know what's interesting? Joseph doesn't. That in the midst of all of this, in the midst of the being sold into the slavery, in the midst of being falsely accused, in the midst of being thrown in jail, Joseph doesn't get angry. And Joseph doesn't hop off the ship. And he doesn't begin to rail at God. And here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking Joseph remembers what happens when he's in control. I think he's remembering back to the absolute devastation that he caused in his family. When he went in and began to be arrogant and he told his brothers. And he took what was already bad and he blew it up. And now they hated him. Think about this. They hated him enough to kill him. His dad has been back weeping for years at the idea that his son is dead. His whole family has been destroyed. He ended up putting himself in a pit. And I think Joseph has come to the conclusion. I'd rather be in a pit by God's plan than be anywhere else by my plan because when I do my plan, it doesn't turn out well. See, here's the deal, guys. I guarantee if you follow Jesus, I guarantee if you decide to do what He's asked you to do, there are pits and there are jail cells. But you realize the pit is brief. The jail cell is temporary but the story of God is bigger than the moment. And what you're experiencing in that moment and the unfairness of that moment and the the darkness of that moment is only a chapter in a larger story that God is writing. And if you opt out now, you will never see the glory of what God is doing. But none of us have ever gotten to the end of the story without the pit or without the cell. And Joseph resolves in this moment, I'd rather be in a pit with God than anywhere else that I would put myself. What happens next is, uh, is pretty interesting. Joseph is in jail. There's two other guys in the same jail. Both of them come from Pharaoh's house. Uh, one of them is a baker and the other one is a cupbearer. And apparently, they both have been accused of something. And so they've been thrown into jail. They both have dreams. And the story comes out that, hey, there's a guy named Joseph. He knows how to interpret dreams. So both these guys go to him and say, hey, we had these weird dreams. Just want to know what it's all about. They tell their dream to Joseph. Joseph says, hey, I got good news. I got bad news. Uh, Mr. Baker, uh, you're going to go up and see the Pharaoh in the next couple days. Uh, He is going to cut off your head, and he's going to stick it on a stake, and the birds of the air are going to pluck your eyes out. Just saying, you know, you asked, and I thought I'd be honest. And then he says to the cupbearer, you're going to be found innocent. They're going to realize that you were falsely accused. You're actually going to be restored to full status within Pharaoh's court. And and, uh, you're going to have a claim uh, that you've never had before. Sure enough, uh, both men get ushered up, the baker gets his head chopped off, the cupbearer gets restored. Joseph, before they leave, says to the cupbearer, please, 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 look, look, look. Whatever you do, remember me. Just remember there was a guy in prison. I was falsely accused. I didn't even do it. You know I didn't do it. When you get to Pharaoh, just remember me. Look, look, here's the deal. I'm willing to be assistant cupbearer. I'll even be assistant, assistant cupbearer. I'll do anything. Just get me out of here. When you get to Pharaoh, remember me. And the Bible says that when the cupbearer got back to the Pharaoh's court, guess what he promptly did? Forgot Joseph for… you ready for this? Years. And then one day, Pharaoh has a dream. Isn't that interesting? By coincidence, Pharaoh has a dream. And he goes to uh, all the… soothsayers and the magicians and all the wise men and he says look I had this dream and I'm pretty sure that it wasn't a pizza hut bad pizza late at night dream I'm pretty sure there was something spiritual about this dream and here's what I dreamed I dreamed that there were these seven big old fat cows and they came walking up out of the Nile River and then just shortly after that these seven really scrawny ugly cows came up but they ate the fat cows what does that mean And nobody in all of Egypt could tell Pharaoh the answer to his dream. So he's mad and he's spitting and he's cussing and suddenly the cupbearer is standing there and he goes, oh, there's this guy back in prison that I told him I would remember him years ago. I got a feeling he's probably still there. And so they send down for Joseph, and they bring Joseph up in front of the Pharaoh. And Joseph tells Pharaoh his dream, and he says, here's what it means. The seven fat cows are seven great years. You're going to have all the food you could ever want. Everything's going to flourish in Egypt. But the seven skinny cows are seven years of famine. And if you're not prepared, the seven skinny cows are going to devour everything that the seven good cows brought, the seven good years. Here's what you ought to do, Pharaoh. Find somebody who's shrewd. Find yourself an amazing businessman and have them do this. During the seven years of good, take a percentage of all of the crops, everything that's grown, put them away in barns. Collect it like tax. Then when the seven years of famine come, you can sell it back to the people and make a profit, but you'll also spare Egypt. You'll win coming and going on the deal. Watch Pharaoh's response. (laughs) Genesis… Chapter 41, starting in verse 37. The plan, the plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all of his officials. So Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone like this man, one in whom the Spirit of God is? Guys, when you begin to live for the purposes of God, God will always make himself famous. And people will see your life and say, there is no answer for what's going on with them except that God is real. Which means it's bigger than a car and it's bigger than any house you can buy. Because God will be glorified. And then the Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, There is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all of my people are to submit to your orders. Think about this. A Jew is now made the number two person in all of Egypt, the most powerful country in the world. And suddenly, you go, oh my goodness. The pit… And Potiphar's house and the false accusations were a plan. And going into jail was a plan. And through all of that, God was preparing a 17-year-old arrogant young man to become humble and to learn how to lead and how to work with the toughest men in the world so that he would be prepared to lead the biggest country in the world. And suddenly, God's Plans are bigger than anything you ever dreamed. And your and my plans are way too small. So let me ask you a question. (laughs) Whose plan are you living? Because if it's your plan, and if your life is simply about the next promotion, and if your life is simply about moving a little further on the corporate ladder or buying the house with one more bedroom in it, Your plan's too small. Your plan is far too small. And you have not even begun to imagine what God would do with you if you simply had the courage to step in to His plan. And here's what I'm wondering today. What if there was a church? What if there was a group of people who in unison, said, we will set aside our plans, and we will begin to live the purpose of God, the reason we were created on this earth, we will begin to live that out in our lives. You realize that church would be unstoppable. That church would be a dangerous church, and the community would be changed, and our children would be changed, with a church like that. Let's bow our heads. You know why we've hesitated, right? Because somewhere in the finiteness of our minds, we have actually believed that our plans are better than His plans. And I'm simply asking you today to believe that you are better in the pit with God. You are better in a jail cell with God than you could ever be anywhere working through your own plans because your plans are too small for your life. Dear Lord Jesus, we've simply come to the moment, and we have. We've, we've been so puny in our thoughts. We thought our, we thought our plan was about getting the right boyfriend or being in the right job or living in the right neighborhood or being able to upgrade to the next level of car. God, we've been spending our lives on puny little things that weren't worthy of our lives. They weren't weren't enough to give our lives to. And God, I'm just asking that in this room that you would just fill us with courage. There, There would be enough courage to give up. There'd be enough courage in this moment To say, you know what? I'd rather be in the pit with God than anywhere that I would place my life. I'd rather be in jail if that was the plan and purpose of God than anywhere else that I could take my life to. Because I'm pretty sure that the plans of God for me are bigger than the plans of me for me. And so today I surrender.